welcome to Said. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief and Curious Style Voyeur, Jane Dagny. Said is the conversational complement to what's been written in Designers Today magazine. Said is also an acronym that stands for Something About Interior Designers. Here, through conversations with designers and decorators, manufacturers, marketing experts, business coaches, and others in our community, we'll acknowledge, celebrate, and explore that special je ne sais quoi that designers share and yet express uniquely. Designers are creators, people handlers, and life changers, artists and visionaries, extraordinary jugglers with powers often greater than they can see. We are intrigued and inspired over and over again. Enough said. On with the show. Shemen Taylor Smith. Please note her whole name now because you won't hear it again. What Cher and Madonna are to the entertainment biz, Shemen is to the design and home furnishings world. Plain and simple, she's a rock star. And one of the best relationship nurturers and idea generators in the industry, currently consulting with designers, manufacturers, media, and others on matters such as branding, licensing, social media, and content creation. Designer Billy Seglia tells me that when he and his group of designer friends get together, her name always comes up, in a good way, in the sense that everybody wants and needs a shaman in their life. In his own words, Billy said, Shemen is one hell of a Renaissance woman. She boxes. She makes jam. She's snarky. Her resume reveals that she is an industry dynamo from print media to radio to an industry event groundbreaker and mastermind. She's done it all and very successfully. As both a strong businesswoman and a warm and caring friend, Shemen's strength lies in her ability to meet a client where they are in their journey and help set up a strategy for their growth and goals. In our conversation... She'll take us through her interesting career and discuss the role giving back plays in her life. We'll talk about changes in the industry and how designers today first came to be. She was there. We'll also talk about the birth of the High Point Market Style Spotter program because as VP of Marketing for High Point Market Authority, she was an integral player. I asked the authority's COO, Tammy Nagum, to say a few words about Shemin. If we're talking about Shemin, I should tell you about the first time I met her. On her first day of work at the Market Authority, she walked into my office and said, Hey, if you were thinking about leaving this job, you need to change your mind because I'm here now and that is unacceptable. She then turned around and just walked out. From that moment on, a fabulous working relationship and an even better friendship was born, whether I liked it or not. I'm so happy to have Shemin on the podcast and lucky enough to have done it side by side in our podcast studio. Enough said. Let's get into my conversation with Shemin. Shemin, I am so happy to have you here in the podcast studio. I'm happy to be here. Today. Thank you for coming. Um, I have so many questions and I feel like our lives have crossed over and we know so many people. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, I feel like you know everybody and everybody knows you. So what I kind of want to know is how did you get to be you? Because you... Oh, wow. I, that's a big... But we're going to break that down. Okay. We're going to break that down. But I feel like your name pops up on so many designers' lips. Yesterday, um, we were podcasting with Kandrak and Cole. Yes. And they mentioned They're you. They're great. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of... It was, it was funny. So... Um, First of all, what, where did you grow up? All over the place. I was a Navy brat. So I was born in Key West, Florida, probably the last baby born in Key West, Florida. Moved to Puerto Rico when I was two weeks old. Mm-hmm. Lived in Puerto Rico, Utah, Boston, lots of different places. So I've lived all over. But and my family is North Carolinian to the bone. Was that hard with schools, changing schools a lot? Or were you a good adapter? You know, it's funny when you're doing it, you're just doing it. I mean, you don't realize that it's different when you're a kid. You know, kids kids just know what they know. And so their normal is their normal. You don't consider it to be different from everybody else. And I think it really served me well because now I can adapt. I kind of like change occasionally. I like to shake things up a little bit. And very easy for me to talk to people, even though I'm an introvert, believe it or not. Um, I do love to talk to people. 
and I'm curious about people. I'm curious about places. So I think in a long, in a way, it really helped me become who I am mm-hmm. more than anything. Funny when you say you're an introvert. I am. Um, and I feel like I am in a lot of ways too. And I'm so happy that I have a job that makes me appear like an extrovert. Right. You have to learn how to be an extrovert. Yeah, it takes a while to warm up, like mm-hmm. a new market. It'll be like, okay, in about half an hour, an hour, then I'm into it. <laughs> I'm the opposite. After market, I have to have about three days in my house with no sound whatsoever to recover and recharge my batteries. So it's more that for me. I can be on when I need to be, but then I'll need to recharge. Yeah. Um, so what did you study in college? Journalism. And where'd you go? I went to Winthrop University and did journalism major, and I loved it. I wanted to be a journalist from as long as I can remember. When I was a kid, I saw a press conference on TV, I guess, and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. So I used to pretend that my classes were press conferences. So I would sit and take notes that the teacher said. I would walk to my locker and pretend that I was a reporter. It was hilarious. I mean, that's how I treated school was as if I was doing some sort of major Wall Street Journal report on school, <laughs> but I loved it. So like I that. wanted to be a journalist from day one, yeah. It sounds like fake it till you make it. Exactly. <laughs> you were exactly. totally faking it. And then what was, well, you know, in, in your way, because, and then when did you make it? What was your first job? Radio news. I did, well, I did radio all the way through college. Um, it's how I got myself through college was working as a radio DJ. Um, and I, when I tell people that, I'm like, please, you know, the kids today think you mean the DJ that scratches the records. And I'm like, no, not that one, the one on the radio. So as soon as I graduated, I did radio news and a newspaper in Virginia. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved it. And did you have a particular beat or area of focus in the newspaper? Um, I did the police beat. So I did a lot of court reporting, a lot of talking to state troopers, um, so yeah, that was that was tough to be right out of school and get hit with reality because those are some tough beats. Even in, you know, an area that's not a major metropolitan city, there's a lot that goes on, you know, that's that's scary and and hard for a 22-year-old to to be exposed to, but I learned a lot really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being on the radio, you learn how to be composed quickly too. For example, I was I was live on the radio when Challenger exploded. Um, and to have them break through and then try to figure out what to say afterwards was a very interesting uh, trial by fire. Wow. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember what you said? I have no clue what I said at all. My mom was listening, and she did say, you know, you made sense, which, thank goodness, because I honestly, my mind went blank because I'd never been, you know, exposed to that. No one had even told me what it meant when someone broke in with an emergency alert, you know, so I had to figure out how to do all of that really quickly. It was hard. Mm -hmm. It was hard. I was lucky that when they do break in, there is a national reporter that gives the news. And then they break, depending on the the importance of the story, they'll break anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 minutes after they've broken the news. They'll leave and they give you a countdown in your ear. Um, So that I had about, you know, a count of five to figure out what I was going to say. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I loved radio news, though. I really did. I loved it. It's just sort of like that. It is. I know. <laughs> and when podcasting came around, I said, I'm back in my element. This is incredible because it reminds me so much of radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me, uh, when did you get into the design world? How did you go from police beat to design? <laughs> what was the in between? Um, well, I started working in trade publications. The first one I worked in, my um, minor was computer science. So the first magazine that I worked on in the trades was a computer software magazine in Boston. Um, and I worked there for a couple of years. And then we wanted to move back to North Carolina when I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. So we came down here and Furniture Today was the game in town, of course. And so I started at Furniture Today in 1990, I think probably 91 maybe. So that was probably the first experience I had with the home world period. Um, my first market was mind blowing. I was just going to ask you about that. Absolutely. Well, it was 10 days then too. Mm-hmm. So market was 10 days, um, 11 million square feet and just oh, completely overwhelming. Yeah. And we did dailies even back then. Um, we were actually in High Point. The offices were in the National Mart on Main Street on the second floor. 
Um, so we were in the thick of it 24 7, mm-hmm. which was interesting. And were you a reporter then for Furniture Today? I, I did some reporting and I was on the copy desk when I first started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was privately owned when I first started. They were just selling to Connors, I believe, which was a major publisher of um, trade and business publications at the time. But uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, but really kind of the wild west of, of furniture industry there in the beginning. So yeah, I worked all the way through Home Accents today when we purchased Casual Living. Um, I became the editor-in-chief of Casual Living, mm-hmm. so I've worked at all the publications yeah. yeah, Designers Today was just a page in Furniture Today. Yeah, tell, day. tell mm-hmm. me about how how it started. I thought that was so funny when you and I spoke. I think you and I met when you were at Country Living. Probably. Slight I segue mean, there. But um, yeah. when you and I talked about Designers Today, I remember you said something about when it started. And I said, oh, no, no, it was a page in Furniture Today. It was. It was a special section. So was Home Accents Today, actually. Mm-hmm. They were both special sections within Furniture Today. Um, back in the day. And then Judith Cushman, who worked uh, at Furniture Today at the time, became the editor-in-chief of Home Accents Today, and it spun out. And then Designers Today would appear in both of them. Okay. So it would be a single page in both of the publications. Um, so yeah, that's how they both got their start. And do, like, what did it cover on that page? What was you know essential for designers to see or for manufacturers to know about designers? Because as most designers that recall, you know, the market's mm-hmm. passed. I'm like, oh, I remember when designers weren't allowed to market. Right, they market. weren't. Right. There were actually stickers on people's I remember showroom windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember that? So there were things that would say you could or could not come in as a designer. Well, designers today would cover things like color trends, things that furniture today wouldn't really cover necessarily from a manufacturing or retailing standpoint. And Home Accents today was really about the Home Accents world. Um, a little bit of gift, a little bit of textiles, even though we had home textiles today as part of that family as well. It was in New York. Um, but it did cover some color trends and some of the things, home trends, things like that, that would be more of a consumer-focused, designer-focused topic. Right. That's why it was infrequent and it was just a single page. Yeah. Gosh, it's, it's so great to um, to know the history mm-hmm. and how it grew and where it's going. Um, so tell me, okay, so from from working um, in the magazines, in the trade pubs, mm-hmm. and to where you are now. So I want to just recite a few of the um, labels slash roles that you do now, things, um, who you are um, as a consultant. So I'm going <laughs> to okay. read what's on your website, which I love. Uh, game changer, creative thinker, marketing maven, strategy advisor, brand analyst, content creator, idea generator. Those are some of the um, roles that you play for your clients. that's right. So what might be a day in your work day like for you? What sort of clients are you working? Who are you working with? What projects are you working on? I work with everyone from interior designers to manufacturers to press to trade shows. Um, I even work with some clients that are outside of the industry. Uh, It's not just home focused. And a day in the life can be anything. Um, Traveling to Italy to meet with a client and walk through an antiques fair um, to, you know, sitting in my house and doing a consulting session with somebody who is in another country even or another state. So I do have several clients who are in Europe. Um, and then I have a lot of clients all across the country, so it just depends on what they need from me at that moment. But the days are really varied, which I love. I mm-hmm. like things that are different and challenging. And I really, I think my favorite part of all those that you listed would be idea generation. I like thinking of different ideas. Um, that's just something that's been one of my favorite things to do. So another tag line that is on your website says, let's make you unforgettable. Um, I hate using the phrase tips and tricks, but what makes somebody unforgettable? Like what, could you give me an example of a client that you helped become more memorable? So I won't say their name because I think that, I'm I'm known for being discreet, so Mm -hmm. I will be careful about that. Um, I won't mention their name, but 
yes, I think it's about just bringing out what's that special part of you. Um, for me, I'm lucky because my name is memorable. And even if you can't say it, you remember that I'm the person with the weird name. So that really helped me. But then you have to have something behind it, too. It can't just be the name. You have to then step into it and make yourself memorable as well. I'm known for being very direct and very honest. And I think that's why people remember me, because if you ask me an opinion, you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And whether you may want it or not is another matter. But that's what I'm known for. And I think you have to find that part of you that I'm sort of tired of the word authentic because it's been thrown around so much that it's almost cliche. But I do think you have to find that part of you that is really you and expand on it. Bring it out. You're memorable. You have a very memorable brand yourself, a personal brand. The way that you look, you're always the same person. Ever since I've known you from the beginning, Jane is the same Jane. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. you. You have to have that whatever it is that makes people say, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. That's the critical part. And it and it's, can be ephemeral or it can be something that is um, a des- the way you design a room or what your signature look is. A lot of people don't want to go towards a niche, but I think you have to in everything that you do. There has to be a place where you fit and where you stand out. That's the key. Yeah, and niche is is does not equal signature look. No. No, no. Um, and I agree. I'm fascinated by um, niches or niches mm-hmm. or however um, I'm going to pronounce <laughs> tomato, it on any given, <laughs> any given day. Um, I once, and I'm going to have her on the podcast, and of course I cannot remember her name at this moment, but I know she lives in Florida and around Stewart, and her niche is working with widows. and um, Kimberly Perrin. Yes, I know exactly who See, you See, you're so good. at You are so good at names. <laughs> I, your head is a Rolodex. It really is. And for those who don't know <laughs> what a Rolodex is. Oh, God, please explain well, it to there, the young ones. I, I know. there. It was a card filing system where you had everybody's business card and or address alphabetically. <laughs> so, and it twirled around. Yes, so it did. your head is a Rolodex. Yes, I am fascinated. And she and I had a conversation. Um, and uh, I just, I, I want to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. So... That was one niche that was very unique. And some are slightly less unique. I find, um, I go to a lot of websites, of course, because mm-hmm. I'm looking for right. locations. And and I... Your website needs to be memorable, for sure. Yeah. Some of the uh, very common phrases of, um, you know, I, I give you the, the best. I listen to my clients and I... I give them what they want in a beautiful, classic way. There's some things that are so, like, vanilla that that Mm -hmm. doesn't stand out. So when you're working with a client and you're trying to get down to that authentic Mm -hmm. brand essence, how do you – it's a hard exercise. Yeah, it is. But I think once you look through their portfolio, Mm -hmm. usually things start coming through because they can't help it. You know, it's you can say that you do whatever design style that your client wants, but you do have signatures, whether you know it or not. And so when you step back and look at your portfolio as a whole, you do start seeing through lines or things that are hints or tips, tricks that you're doing that you may not even realize. And then also, too, I think it's looking at your own personality. And that's, I think, where I help the most because I can stand outside and look in. Sure. It's very difficult to do that for yourself. It really is, yeah, and especially if you're in the moment of the day-to-day work. Being a designer is really hard. It just is. Being a single business owner, you know, is is hard. And so sometimes you just don't have the time to back up and turn around and look back in on yourself and your business. That's That can be a difficult exercise for someone who has so much on their plate already. So that's where I come in is I'm able to step back. I w- I've never been a designer. Mm-hmm. That's not my specialty. But being able to look at you and your business and your personal brand, that I can do. Yeah, I mean, even looking at their portfolio, right? you know, you see things. Right. Some things they may not even notice because they're just doing it by by road, or mm-hmm. it's just they think, oh, it's not special. But you key in on those right. things. So speaking about the um, self-employed, and mm-hmm. so have how long have you been self-employed? Uh, three years, I think now, maybe almost four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but I mean, before we we skipped a little bit. So before 
um, becoming self-employed. After I left the trade world, the last role I had was the editor-in-chief of In Furniture Magazine, which was owned by Condé Nast. And um, after before that, um, well, I was at Casual Living, of course. And so I segued to a competitive publication, which was fun for all the people that I worked with here mm-hmm. <laughs> because we became competitors. But I'm a very friendly competitor. Um, and then I went, I've went. i also worked at El Decor magazine. I worked there for probably four or five years and met home, Rest at Soul, which was a fabulous magazine. In what capacity um, did you work at El Decor? I was the PR director there. Wow. And how long did you do that for? Uh, three or four years. Mm-hmm. I know you and Margaret Russell have a great relationship. I oh, mean, she's I've, the best. I've seen you together at Markets. Yeah. Um, yeah and she's awesome. Are you st- still doing some work with her at Gallery? No, she's not at Gallery anymore. She's out on her own as well. Um, she's a dean at SCAD, and she's working on so many other incredible creative projects. Wow. But, yeah, I really admire her. I've been lucky enough to work with some extremely strong women who've mm-hmm. been very inspiring in this industry. And they, and honestly, you know, if you step outside of the design world, it can be hard to find women in this industry. And especially over the last however many years that I've been in this industry, it was very difficult. So I was lucky to stumble into some very um, incredible women who taught me a lot and who were sort of guides for me in the industry um, and inspirational too. Margaret's very inspirational for me. Connie Lineberry, who used to work here, Mm -hmm. um, was a mentor to me for many years. And, uh, you know, several women like that. Even Judith Cushman uh, was a, you know, and gave me a lot of food for thought in my career. One of the things I've always tried to do is be very generous with younger women in this industry, too, because it can be hard industry, um, especially on the manufacturing side, the vendor side, mm-hmm. to try and help them navigate their way, because that's still very male-dominated for the most part. Sure. But then after El Decor, as part of that, mm-hmm. I went. I was the VP of marketing for the High Point Market. Um, so, yeah, that was a segue that was interesting because in that role, you served a lot of masters. So you, I worked for the manufacturers to a certain extent, for the designers, for the buyers, um, the press. You know, I worked with pretty much every avenue. And just question, what, in, t- in taking on these new jobs mm-hmm. and roles, because they're all like, wow, like, you know, they're <laughs> all wow. Did you hear about it? Did people say, Shaman, I wonder, are you interested in this? Like, how did you apply and find out about these um, openings? All the way back to In Furniture, I didn't apply. In Furniture, um, a person that I used to work with came to me and offered me the opportunity to go over there. Um, El Decor, it was actually Donna Warner, who was the editor-in-chief of Metropolitan Home Magazine, who knew me. I'd known her for many years and loved her and followed her, talked to her as often as possible. And uh, she was the one who came to me and said, I think you should try this, Um, which was interesting because I hadn't thought of myself in that role. And she was a real champion for me in that particular position. And then when uh, Margaret decided she wanted to go to Art Digest, I'd already worked at Condé Nast, and I didn't necessarily want to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and I talked about it. And uh, oddly enough, Brian Casey, who was the um, head of the market authority at the time, reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested. It was it was just a serendipity on that one. But in all three of those cases, people reached out to me. Right. Well, you had already made yourself unforgettable and memorable. <laughs> so... And I'm just curious, in the PR role, like, I think PR is such a great uh, skill to have or experience. That Mm -hmm. was my first office experience. And it's helped me in so many ways. Um, It's a sales job, really. mm -hmm. It is. Communication, sales, Mm -hmm. and, you know, making everybody. It's like a win-win, you know. Let's create win-wins all the time. So as as VP of Marketing for High Point Market Association... Mm -hmm. Tell us about how the Style Spotter program came to be. Well, it was interesting because when I started working there, one of the things that was changing is that we had gone through a recession. And so a lot of retailers had fallen by the wayside and designer business became more attractive to the manufacturers at that point. So then it was a matter of wooing the designers to the market. That Mm. was pretty much one of the first Um, challenges that I was given when I stepped into the role. And 
because of my role at El Decor, I think that was probably, and, and some of the other positions, was probably what made um, me attractive to the person who was running the market authority at the time was that I did have a lot of relationships with designers. So it was a matter of starting to think about what they needed and wanted um, rather than just razzle dazzle to attract them, what could really provide a benefit. And the first thing was talking to ASID and trying to get that programming in place, new um, CEU accredited courses and talks and anything that we could do to provide something that was very concrete to the designer market so that they could come here and have some education, great talks, um, fun speakers. You know, we had Christian Siriano speak one time with Leela Rose uh, about how the fashion industry crosses over into home and, you know, anything that we could think of that would be um, both an, uh, you know, an attractive person speaking, somebody you really wanted to hear from, but at the same time, they needed to provide concrete information, not just be a celebrity or tout a book or something like that. Right. Um, so from there. What year is this? Uh, oh, gosh. Approximately. I have no idea. Let me think. Uh, 2011, maybe? 10? Somewhere in there. Okay. Um, but the style spotters, you know, working with um, the ad agency that we worked with at the time, Emissary, who mm -hmm. I think still works with Market, um, we brainstormed a lot of different ideas about what we could do to try and have more of that trend spotting happening at market because the thing that is still so important at the high point market is that it's really where a lot of the trends start for mark for the industry as a whole and a lot of designers now come to market as much for the trends and the colors and the styles and you know whatever um, vignette designs they may see as much as they come to see the new product right. so there it became important to say you know we need to highlight that and we also need to let the tastemakers tell us what they're seeing at market. I mean, it's 11 million square feet. There was no way we were going to get around and be able to say. And we also wanted to have a voice of authority. Sure. So we picked people that were um, interior designers, influencers, at the, for the most part, although at that point nobody knew what an influencer was, but someone who did have some influence in the industry so that they would attract other designers. So it was a win-win. We wanted people across the country. They had to be from different demographics. Um, men and women, different ethnicities, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we tried to hit every point that we could because the entire idea was to influence other designers about market's excitement and the fabulous things they could see at market. So that was really the beginning of it. But the key to the whole thing was um, reaching out to Ben Silverman at Pinterest because at the time, Pinterest was not a thing, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people knew about it and it was a fun thing to play with. But it hadn't really hit the mainstream or become the massive channel that it is today Okay. Um, at that point. And so when we met with him and, and his team and talked about what we were going to do, they were all about it. They thought it was fun um, and helped us create some ideas of how to make those boards work, et cetera. And then I swear it was six months later, I think, when they started with their IPO and we looked like geniuses, but it was complete serendipity. Mm -hmm. um, but it did lead to, we won an international marketing award for it. Um, it was Dutch, Dutch group, as well as some awards within, you know, the U.S. And so it was, it was a big deal. For was, the program? Yes, for Style Spotters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was That's... partly luck, partly, and now, you know, think thinking. And now, spawn, you know. There are so many <laughs> Style Spotter programs now, Trendsetter, Tastemaker. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Right. Stylize. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, every market has it. Right. It's kind of interesting to see it now. Even the high point market now probably has three different programs. There are other people within market that are doing their own too. So Sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see. I know. I have um I have never been selected to be one. Um, <laughs> let that just be noted, but uh. <laughs> that's funny. Well, press was never really chosen. Uh, when I was this, when I was running it. Now it's different now. The program has morphed and it's different yeah. and and you know, so it's it's I'm not I don't think the rules are the same as they were when yeah. we started. Well, we can spot our own and put it in the magazine. Exactly. So, you know, we can, you we can, can do, do your own, own style spot. Call, call, call it whatever we want to. Design spotter. <laughs> so how long did you work at the, um, for High Point Market? I think four years, but I, I, my brain is fuzzy on exact dates. And then did you go freelance after that? or did No, you I worked still? with Toby Fairley for a while too. Wow. Um, yeah, she's a fun designer. And she had, she's also a great business mind and had some really, 
huge goals that she wanted to meet in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my role was to jump in there and help her reach those goals. I feel like she was, I I became aware of Toby when I was doing some blogging for Benjamin Moore Mm -hmm. because just, you know, she burst onto the scene. Oh, she's color, color, color. color. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and then I feel like she was one of the first designers to really add solid business yes. um, to her. She has an MBA, mm-hmm. oh, which okay. is part mm-hmm. of it. I mean, she has a solid business. So anybody foundation. mentions mastermind, it's usually yeah. Toby Fairley. Yeah, you know? exactly. She started her mastermind program. She started uh, with design camps way back in the day mm-hmm. before anybody else had done them. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of designers that that she's helped and touched over the years too. Yeah. Yeah, her name comes up yeah. a lot, too. And yeah. I listen to her podcast from time to time as well. There's so many great podcasts there. Out are there are so many great. I mean, Kendrick and Cole have one, too. I know. So I know. many good podcasts. There's almost too many to listen to. I know. You need a really long commute or a really great road trip because, mm-hmm. yeah, make time for podcasting. So be, being, look, I want to talk a little bit more about self-employed and kind of what your what your hustle is like. like mm-hmm. So, of course, you've um, gotten a lot of... Uh, work through word of mouth. Yes. Your work, quality of your work stands on its own. So um, do you have to reach out? I mean, as a self-employed person filling your pipeline or does a lot of it, are you you turning things away? I'm turning things away. I'm really lucky in that respect. Um, I do keep an active social media um, presence on Facebook in particular and I also have my website, of course, too, but I haven't really had to market myself. I'm very lucky in that respect. I think a lot of my marketing probably comes from face-to-face events. So if I'm in, um, I don't know, like the Design Influencers Conference or if I attend KBiz or a market, I tend to be introduced to other people who are interested in me. Um, and so that's usually about how it happens is having people meet me at different events. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the people and projects you're working on currently? Sure. Um, some of the people that I'm working with that I can talk about, <laughs> but I am careful about that yes. because it's that I think is one of the things that I am known for is discretion. You know, people, for example, would always ask me about Margaret Russell and try to get information out of me about her Um or other people that I've worked with. And, and it's important to me not to do that unless the person says that it's okay with them. So um, one of the clients that I work with is Pulp Design Studios, Carolina Gentry, Beth DiTolo. They're in Seattle, Los Angeles, and Dallas, and they are amazing. Um, and some of the fun things that we've been doing uh, was just sort of stepping out of the box a little bit about how to do press, mm-hmm. deciding that we would do a magazine for them specifically. So they have their own magazine now, Icon, um, which is gorgeous. Please go look at it. Yes, We're on the fourth issue. So is the magazine digital? So it's digital, but it's also printed. And they send the print copies to high household income consumers that they're either prospective clients, former clients, current clients, also architects, contractors, etc. So it's a great way for them to promote their own business. Um, and it's it's just full of gorgeous photography because one of the things that they do that is so important is that they photograph professionally every project that they do. It's funny because I'll have designers say to me, why in the world should I do that if I'm not going to pitch it to press? You have to have gorgeous photography on your website. It's all you have really to sell yourself. Sure. And it's funny because people honestly don't read anymore. So we were talking about the copy that they have on their sites. They'll only read that if they're interested in what they saw in the photography in the first place. So if you're not wowing them in the first seven and a half seconds, mm-hmm. literally, that they're on your website, then they're gone. Right. And and what I love right now is that, um, and this brings us to their, their photography is fantastic. It's gorgeous. And don't they work with Stephen Carlish yes, a Stephen lot? Yes, Stephen Carlish has photographed a lot of theirs, which I think you right. just interviewed him. Yes. So, of course, you you know him and, and Kristen. You know, and right. it's just like <laughs> we're all connected by all less connected. than six degrees <laughs> in this industry. But they're they're doing a great job all the way around of promoting themselves. They're well known for their social media activity, too. They're very, very astute about how to use their promotions um, in a smart way to attract clients and to attract partnerships. 
I almost met them last year at KBiz. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. Well, they're running like crazy every time they go to KBiz. Yeah, and I have never met them. And let's put that on our mutual list because I definitely want to. I want to meet them. They're incredible. Have a conversation. Yeah, they are incredible. Okay. Uh, another duo that I work with is Afro Chic. Uh huh. And uh, that's a husband and wife duo in Brooklyn. Sure. And interestingly, they are also doing a podcast. And theirs is called One Story Up, and it is fascinating. Very little to do with design and more about the African diaspora as a whole. Mm -hmm. And they have had some incredible interviews recently. Um, I always learn something from them in particular on their podcast. They also have a magazine, but again, it is more about the African diaspora, culture, lifestyle, et cetera. Um, Their second issue, I believe, just published. And is that a magazine that anybody could Mm -hmm. purchase? That magazine, yes, is more open to everyone. And it is um, at the Rizzoli Bookstore. Mm -hmm. It's at the Harlem Museum Bookstore. I believe the Brooklyn Museum Bookstore. So there's a lot of places, but it's also Mm -hmm. online. I'd love to. um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like I'm getting a lot of work done (laughs) here with you, Shimon. I want to find out more about that. Yeah, and they're fantastic. They have a lot of amazing ideas. They're known for... Um, both their design, but also they do things like um, they design sets, mm-hmm. they do content. They work very closely with Pinterest because AfroChic has one of the most popular accounts. I think it's in the top five African-American accounts on Pinterest, period. Millions and millions of followers. Um, so they're really smart about how they also use social media to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anybody else you want to mention? Or? Um, I work with Bernhardt. I do some marketing and PR with their amazing marketing team there. Yep. Uh, so I'll work with them. Sometimes people will see me in their showroom at Market. Yeah, so a lot of different people. So what, um, as far as 2020 and your show schedule and where you'll be, mm-hmm. what, what's sort of first quarter for you? KBiz you... is the first thing. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. I can't wait. Um, I love KBiz. It's a really fun show. And I always... One of the things that I think makes me look at things differently is that I do like to attend shows that are not necessarily your traditional home show, Mm -hmm. for example, um, or go to conferences and things that I think are a little bit out of the box because there can always be something that you learn that can be applied to this industry. Um, And it's good to see what people are doing, how they're marketing themselves, what they're thinking about, what idea generation is happening in other industries or arenas. Um, so there's a couple of shows that I'm going to that have nothing to do with home <laughs> at all. Um, but can, can you know, you tell can you say one that you'll be going to and why it interests you? I'm actually going to a paper show. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds crazy, but it is a show that's specifically designed for people who are interested in specialty papers. And I love that show because there's interesting colors that come up with it, interesting ways of applying things to paper, to printing. I think maybe that's just this, the journalist in me coming out again. I used to love to branding. do press runs. I mean, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're working with people, Correct. you're going to recommend their, you know. It's exactly right. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things that come from shows like that. Um, I think I'm going to the Design Influencers Conference. That might be the next one after right. KBiz. So, yeah, a lot of different shows. Yeah. Uh, January, it's like right out of the gate. I know. I know. It's crazy. I'm supposed to, I think I'm going, actually, the first one I'm probably going to is Dallas. I was just a judge for the Arts Awards, which was fascinating. Oh, Um, wow. So you were, um, were you hanging out with Sandy Hughes, my good friend from Steelyard? I I actually was. It was a good group. It was a good group. It was so much fun. We had a really good time, but it was intense. That is an intense process. It's funny because I've been a judge for, um, the Pinnacle Awards, a lot of different awards mm-hmm. programs, but I'd never done the Arts Awards. And I'll tell you what, Sharon Davis runs a tight ship over there and, and has it uh, has it running like a machine. But I, it was amazing, the things that they ask. I really thought they were very thoughtful questions. It's not just about the design, per se, mm-hmm. but it was also what charitable work that they do or what thoughts they have about how they address environmental concerns or how they treat their employees. I thought that those were incredible questions and I was amazed at some of the answers. There's just some incredible work being done out there by a lot of companies that I ha- I had no idea. Right. I mean, I thought I knew that company. I'd known them for decades and then I was learning something incredibly new about them. 
It's really fascinating. I th- I've heard that it's very rigorous to it be is, a judge. It is intense. <laughs> um, what I love about what we do is it's like learning every day. Mm-hmm. We're so lucky. You know? I think it's a curiosity factor. Mm-hmm. Right. If I could pick one thing that I think has stood me in good stead throughout my career, it would be curiosity. I would agree. Um, I didn't always have it. Did you always have it? Oh, yeah. Always. Mm -hmm. I think that was the reporter instinct in me. I wanted to know everything about whatever it was. So if I became fixated on a particular topic, oh, I was going to go all the way to the end. I was the kind of kid who stood in the library. I'll never forget this. This is actually a true story. I think I was six when I stood in my first really big library, and I started crying. And my mom asked me why, and I said, because I'll never be able to read all of these books. I wanted to read all of the books. I thought that being stuck in the library would be the best thing ever if I could just hide and they would lock it up and I could stay in there all night. Yes. (laughs) So it was just that curiosity factor of wanting to know everything that was in all those books. um, I'm glad you said the word library for two reasons. Well, one I want to relay, when I go to the the free library, I think taking books out and having a stack of books in my Mm -hmm. arm is one of the times that I feel like I am living a luxurious life. Me too. It's such a treat. Um, And I just like that. I remember doing that in Florida once and just feeling like, oh my gosh, what I have here, this richness Mm -hmm. is incredible. But I was going to ask you about your library at at home, you know, like I could just imagine. Um, Do you have a a lot of books in your house. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. And people come over and they look at my bookshelves and they'll pull a book out and then they'll say, wait a minute, there's another book behind it. Yeah, they're triple stacked. There are three three levels of books in the bookshelves. It's scary. It's and are sad. they organized by category? How do you know what's three deep? And they're organized by category, of course. I mean, I'm hyper organized. Mm-hmm. That's really embarrassing to admit. But yes, they are. they are organized by topic. Yeah. Will you send me a picture of I part of your library? Yeah, I will. I'd love, I'd love to have and that. And people always ask, the next question is always, do you have a Kindle or Nook or something? Yes, of course I have a Kindle. Mm-hmm. That's my travel book. Sure. I have one of those weird people who has literally paid over, what is it, the overweight luggage fees because I had too many books in my luggage. That is a true story. So when the Kindle came along, it changed my travel life for sure. Um, but I still love, I mean, it again, it's the paper geek in me. I love the smell of a new printed book or magazine. It's, you know, if you've never done a press check, you don't understand that smell, that mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah, that paper smell is fabulous. I, I think I'm always fortunate. I feel very lucky that we're we're also in a business that values that. Yeah. And And when people talk about print and, you know, as having a challenging, going through a challenging period, I think, yes, but we still work in a in an industry that values it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And I think reading is coming back into vogue, which I'm happy to see. Um, I just saw a report about small bookstores mm-hmm. are coming back and actually are thriving right now. So that makes me super happy, too. We have a great one in Greensboro, downtown, Scuppernons. Fabulous bookstore. Scuppernons. I'm mm-hmm. writing that down yeah. as a recent transplant. I think I, I would love one day when um, in the spring when it's nice to maybe go um, on the Chemin tour of Greensboro. Oh, definitely. <laughs> we used to call those windshield tours, uh-huh. you know, and I would do those for people who came to High Point for the first time. Sure. You'd give them a windshield tour to show them what building was what. Yeah, we, we've done that yeah. um, in our designer experience with Tammy and Ashley from High Point Market exactly. Authority. Yeah. They call it the windshield tour. Yep, and Tammy's the one who taught me about it. <laughs> yeah, it is the best. It is. They're it's, great it's tours. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I just am curious, in our community, maybe we've touched on a few of these, but um, I know you you work beyond the community. Like I saw on your website, uh, you're doing some work for a company called Local Honey, and you're mm-hmm. very, you care about right. your community and giving back and yes I'm on the board of reading connections which is an adult literacy group I I have actually communicated with um I think the director of it so we'll we'll take that discussion offline but I'm thinking about um because I miss those days of teaching and I somehow want to participate it's an incredible group so we'll talk about that yeah I saw that, and I thought, I've got to ask you about that. <laughs> what else do you do? Uh, the IRC is really important to me. It's the Interactive Resource Center. So it is a place where 
um, the homeless community can go to wash their clothes, get a shower, get a meal, get their mail, which is so important. Mm. You know, if you're trying to get back on your feet and you can't even apply for a job because you don't have a permanent address, you know, you're immediately hindered in trying to step out of, you know, your homelessness. And so they provide so many fantastic services there. Um, I actually do a GED class there weekly uh, to try and get people back on their feet or help them get a job. I've worked with people on their resumes there. They have a great computer center to help people look for jobs, find jobs. Um, so that that's one of my other favorite places to hang out and help. That's that's super commendable. Um, as a new transplant here, I'm trying to figure out where I would like to right. participate and contribute and, and when. And again, that. it's following your passion, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the key is following what is important to you. Obviously, we've talked about how important reading is to me and yeah. writing. And so that's why reading connections is so important. Um, and then, you know, I think that we can all relate to being just a few steps away from homelessness ourselves. It's funny because I think even the wealthiest in us don't realize one terrible event can really harm you in more ways than you realize. So I always have that in the back of my mind, and that's why IRC is so important to me. Yeah. Um, And as far as our community goes, like, again, I feel super fortunate to be working in it, back in it, because there was a long time when I was not in it, Mm -hmm. and didn't realize how much I missed it until I was in it again. Um, But uh, what keeps you in it? Like, what is unique about the people you work with um, right. that keeps you here? I think it's the people are fantastic. I mean, you know that yourself, too. There are so many great people in this industry, um, so many people willing to help each other, too. Yeah. I think especially among the interior designers, it's something I've always admired, is that ability to say, we're all going to be lifted up if, if we help each other. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, again, that can be seen as a cliche, but I've really seen it in this industry where they're willing to share information and open their books and open their, you know, their own offices to say, here's what I'm doing. There are so many forums on Facebook, for example, so many Facebook groups where you see that happening, um, where they share everything yes. with each other. And I think that's very unique to this industry. And then, of course, you know, you have the things about home is really important, period. And and to see an industry focused on creating your own oasis at home, there's something very, I don't know, it touches an emotional chord with anyone, I think. But that's important to me, too. So I really love watching homes come together and represent the personality of the person that lives in them. And I also... I'm a geek when it comes to furniture manufacturing. I am. I'm. It's insane the amount of factories that I've walked through. You know, um, shout out. I'll give a big shout out to Holly Blaylock at CR Lane, one mm-hmm. of my good good friends. I love her to pieces. And you know, any time that I can go see her and walk through their fabulous factory, I, I geek out. I just love seeing how it all comes together and the attention to detail and what they're looking at. The same thing with Bernhardt. You know, there are so many people in this industry that care deeply about producing something unique, but also something that's put together really well. Yeah. And I think that commitment is is so fun to watch. I um, have been on several factory floors, probably not to the extent that you have, but I love watching mm-hmm. people, especially um, some of the more senior people on the floor that are just they just have it down and they are so dedicated and it's like this beautiful choreography sort of on the floor. Yeah. And it's fun to watch. Like you said, you'll see a CEO who's on the factory floor, knows their names. That's when you know you've hit a good company. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when you know that there's something different there. Yeah. And uh, that they, if they treat their employees more like family than anything else, that's, that's just interesting to watch all Mm -hmm. the way around. Um, so, yeah, there's there's just a different feeling in this industry than I've seen in others about that idea of sharing and being supportive of each other that I really admire. Um, even, you know, thinking back to that story about Katrina, you and I were talking about that after Hurricane Katrina. I had gone to um, 
I was at in Furniture Magazine, and we decided to look at the impact of Katrina after a year after it had happened. Um, so I took I sent two reporters, one to New Orleans, one to Texas, because so many people had ended up in Texas, mm-hmm. and I went to Biloxi, Mississippi, and just listening to the retailers there talk about the manufacturers and what they had done when Katrina hit and how some manufacturers immediately rerouted their trucks to send ice and food down there, not knowing what you know had even happened to the retailers that they knew. They just knew they had to get there and support them. Giving out 50 to 100 to 500 dollar gift cards to Home Depot to everybody that they came in contact with. These are manufacturers that you would know in this industry right now. Mm-hmm. It was incredible to hear the industry pulling together and it happens all the time. There's, you know, a retailer in Texas who opens his doors to people who are made homeless by hurricanes and, you know, people can literally come in and sleep on his furniture. As a retailer, you can imagine you know, you can't then sell those samples off the floor. Right. Like there's a real impact to his business, but he doesn't care. Right. And I just think that's, you know, it's something that you don't see in a lot of other industries, that pulling together. Yeah. A lot of humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that appeals to me. Humanity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think too, it's, you know, one of the things that, that you had asked me before I even came in here was how do I decide who to work with and who not yes. to work with? Mm-hmm. And you're hearing it. Yes. And I think that it's, there has to be, we have to have a passion for your own business. Sometimes people will come to me and and in the initial discussion, I realize they're looking to me to save them. And I can appreciate that, but that's not my role. And I can't do that for you. I can help you and I can give you some great ideas, but you have to do the work. And there are some people who, they just don't want to do the work. They just want someone to wave a magic wand and that isn't reality. I don't care who you're working with, that that can't happen. So to have someone who really does want to put in the work and really is committed to making the most of what they're passionate about, okay, that's somebody I, I want to work with. Sure. I totally get that. Yeah. Shaman, it has been amazing to have you here. Thank you. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me pretend to be on the radio again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Said. Be sure to visit designerstoday.com for more style, substance, and soul. And also to subscribe to our magazine. Till next time, I'm Jane Dagney, Editor-in-Chief of Designers Today.